When people find out that I review movies as part of my job, their immediate response is always predictable. Man, that sounds like the best job ever. And then I tell them that in the course of a two-hour movie, I'll usually take 50 to 75 pages of notes, and their jaw drops, and they're like, you know, that doesn't sound like as much fun as I thought being a movie reviewer would be. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. You know, I will admit there are times working at Plugged In where it is as cool as you think it would be. <laughs> yeah, true. Seeing Star Wars or Lord of the Rings early, that's a full-on perk right there. Yep. But, you know, some of the movies we have to see and take notes on Maybe not so much. And some of the other things that we wade into in the scope of our plugged-in duties may not be exactly what you would think either. Mm. I thought it would be fun to gather a whole team and just talk about what it's like to work at Plugged In and more specifically, why we review the way we do. I think one of the questions I get most frequently is, why do you guys do X or Y or Z? And I'll spell out X and Y and Z in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to get started with a, a super fun question. And, and joining me today are Emily Clark, Bob Hoos, Kristen Smith, and Paul AC. Here's my question. Hmm. What was the very first movie you reviewed for Plugged In? Hmm. Okay, Go. I scrolled through the website. So this might not be true, but it said Little Women. And okay. that doesn't feel right to me. What, which Little Women? Well, it's one of the like 68 Like the newer versions. ones. I can't remember. Not the one you reviewed. Well, I know that. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was just wondering which one. I don't remember. I don't think it's right, but that's what it said. Okay. Well, it's on the website. It's got to be right. Has to be right. <laughs> don't question yeah. the website. Sorry. Yes. I mean, if I were thinking back to mine, I'd probably say Citizen Kane. Um, but uh, Did they have <laughs> movies when you started? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it feels like it's been a long time. Um, I think. My very first one was a Spike Lee film, uh, yeah. Inside Man. Inside Man. Yeah, and it How was pretty pretty that? bad. Now I was amazing. I'm just I was hearkening back. I, oh. I remember we because we always do doubling. That's what old people do. We That's hearken right. back. I, I we always do doubling at first, you know, where yeah. where the amateur goes in with the pro and watches right. how they do it. Oh yeah. And I remember watching Aquamarine, but oh. but I didn't review it. So okay, Spike Lee's one was my. So honestly, I don't even remember the first movie that I saw. For, <laughs> for that old. But the, the one that I remember, the first movie that I remember is Mr. Brooks, Mr. which Brooks. starred oh, yeah. Kevin Costner as a serial killer. Now this came, I stepped into Plugged In after having raised kids for, you know, I, 10 years. The most violent movie that I had seen over that 10 year period was probably Aladdin. So I stepped <laughs> into <Aladdin>? this, <laughs> this serial Pretty killer. Pretty tough at certain points. Yeah. <laughs> I step into this serial killer movie and man, it freaked me out. It freaked me out. So I it was sort of been... the opposite of a perk. I seriously thought, what have I gotten myself into? Am I going to be able to deal with this job? But you're still here. But I'm still here. Oh, these many, many years later. Emily? So I have to ask, does the test that you guys gave me I know before that's I got I the thought. job count? Because I remember that one. Yes, me too. I don't <laughs> no, think it I counts. I think it was, uh, so the first one that I actually reviewed that I got to write and was actually published, I'm pretty sure it was Stuber. Stuber? Yeah. See, Which the funny, was pretty stupid. <laughs> the funny thing about this but, uh, question is that most of these movies. Totally forgettable. 
totally oh, yeah. forgettable. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Way under the radar. Yeah. I went back through my list. I've reviewed somewhere in the neighborhood of between eight and nine hundred movies since I started in two thousand four. Wow. And I mean, I look at some of the titles. Not only do I mm-hmm. not remember writing it, I don't even remember seeing the movie. No, but the first movie that I saw was Garfield the movie. The third movie that I saw was the Benji reboot. And reboot is an appropriate word here because Benji was at the screening and I accidentally stepped on her. And that was a bad moment. I'm like, oh, my word. I can't even believe that I just stepped on Benji. I'm so fired. But it all worked out. Oh, my God. I know. I didn't want to ask it because we should probably move on. Benji's a cute dog. Keep moving. Keep moving. (laughs) All right. But on that note, since we... We, if you know, you know, that's exactly right. There's two kinds of people, Benji people and not Benji people, which I didn't even know before right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to dive into how we go about doing our plugged in thing. So for anyone who hasn't seen one of our movie reviews, how would you describe, you know, succinctly the way that we try to give people information about movies and and other things in pop culture too, but we'll primarily talk about movies today. I think it's usually just, we want to let parents know about the content that they can find in a movie so that they can make an appropriate decision for, you know, their family and their children. And we do that by breaking down categories, essentially Uh, categories of content. But we offer it up from like a biblical perspective because, you know, you can find the same thing on other um, platforms, which I will not name. Right, the unnamed platforms. <laughs> Our competition. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, we do offer that biblical perspective of like, we're going to mention things that other sites might not mention because we're looking at it from that perspective instead. Yeah. So we give an overview and then we'll talk about here are the positive things. And sometimes even in really bad movies, yeah. we'll something. have... You know, there'll be a little nugget of gold in the coal. Paul and, might be the best person at that. And <laughs> Paul is actually really yeah. good at sifting those things out. Finding some sort of spiritual. Every time. I mean, some of the most fun crit letters we've ever gotten are when we have found something positive to say amid something really, really awful. <laughs> yes. And we'll talk about spiritual content. And we definitely are coming at that from a Christian point of view, like Emily was talking about. And then we talk about sexual content, violence, profanity, drug and alcohol content, and then your general umbrella catch-all of other negative content, which is, you know, everything from fathers being depicted as dolts to kids lying to their parents. I mean, anything that's not in one of those other categories. And then a conclusion. um, And I would say our conclusions, certainly we will, will sort of weigh in on what we've talked about, but... We don't really tell you what to do, usually. I mean, every now and then something is so plainly obvious. It's like, if you go to see this, well, you haven't read the rest of the review. But mostly we want to leave that in your hands. Would you agree with that, Paul? I would totally agree with that. I mean, that's sort of our our principle from day one. We want to give parents and other users of our site the information that they need to make a quality decision for what their families should watch. And because every family is different, every child has different sensitivities, we really want to leave that in their hands. And every individual adult as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So my next question is this, and this is another one that I get constantly. How do we actually take notes or gather the information (laughs) that we use in our movie reviews? And it's all similar, but it's all different too. So talk about that. 
So, okay, so it kind of depends on what sort of movie, for me at least, what kind of movie it is. If it's yep. like a if it's like a family-friendly kids-type movie, it's kind of funny. I actually wind up taking more notes me too. because Absolutely. there's less content issues. It's more about, okay, how am I going to summarize all of this positive content that is in here? But then if it's like a really awful movie, like Uncut Gems, which... I think there were like 500 F words alone in yeah, that movie. Yeah, it got like the most F words per minute, I think, of anything we've ever seen. But I actually took more. I was, you know, had my little tally marks for how many times they uh, bleeped that word out. And, or they didn't bleep it out, but how many times they said it. Right. <laughs> but um, I think I actually had more of that than I did of any other content. Everything else was like just a quick little, yep. and then this happened. And then that, you know, so it was like, that. it's kind of weird how like you take more notes during a positive film than you do during a negative film. Well, and also with kids films, we have to be more sensitive. Oh, you know, yeah. We have to think of not just F-bombs, which aren't in there, Hopefully but we have, to, we have to think, yeah, that's right. The Except nuances. for some of the new kid <laughs> films. Um, but, but we also have to keep uh, in the back of our head, all, all the different things that kids might repeat. Right. You know, some oh, words yeah. they might use or some things that parents might not want their kids repeating at all from these films. Are there little things that show up that kids will be spreading around school? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's hard to, to pay attention to all the different forms of content yes, that, that we're looking for? Yes. Right. Spiritual content for me, for some reason, was so difficult to grasp writing that down it's easy to pick profanity or some sort of sexual content piece Agreed. but it's difficult one thing that i have noticed that i can be writing down and there could be three things like three different content sections happening at the same time like there can right. be some violence there can be some skin there can be some swear words and i'm writing them all down and as i'm writing them all furiously down then i hear the audience gasp and i look up and you I already missed it. Yeah. 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 So it. Which is really why we tricky. send two people to those yeah. movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if, it, if, like, Emily, to your point, if it's a really content-heavy movie, like I watched this one with Matthew McConaughey. I don't even remember what it was about. But it was so disgusting the entire time. I probably could have predicted what was going to be in the movie. Like if I wanted to just guess that there was going to be 50 plus F words, I would have been right. Because it was just, it's easy to capture the gross stuff sometimes. So I want to talk about 50 plus F words. One of the questions that I hear regularly from people, and it's often either in a mocking or an incredulous sort of tone, why do you bother to count profanities? Yeah. Why do we do that and why does it matter? Yeah, I even had a, another reviewer because, you know, we got a screenings with, that are filled with reviewers. Yeah. I had another reviewer lean over my shoulder one time and say, do you actually count every F word? And I said, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, but I think there's a good reason for it, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that, you know, because we could just generalize and say, well, there's nasty language here. You know, but the problem is that we don't take into account that the more we're immersed in something, the more it impacts us. Yeah, it's really I mean, true. we can think, oh, language doesn't bother me at all, but I'm telling you, if there's a film with 50 F-bombs as compared to three, right. it really does make a difference because Absolutely. It, because you're soaked in it. Yeah. Well, and like, I, I'm going to bring go back to Uncut Gems again. When I was watching that, it's like, if you would have taken out every profanity, you would have gotten maybe one word of dialogue per minute maybe because they were saying it that much so it was actually kind of hard to even understand what they were saying because they were using it so much and i think that makes a difference you know versus a movie that's maybe pg-13 but has two f words it is different and we need to make viewers aware of that 
I think that one of the things that is easy to miss just as a movie watcher is that language. I have yeah. gone back to movies that I have watched as a teen, as as a college student. You don't remember the language. And I think one of the things that, that counting the profanity does for me is it reminds me that this isn't deal. And this is something that can slip by our radar if we're not paying attention. When we count those F words, it helps both the reader and the reviewer pay yes. attention. I think a related issue is just hard stuff in film in general. And sometimes I get people asking, why do you even bother hmm. dealing with this stuff that isn't itself evident that it's problematic? How would you guys respond to that? So we watch a lot of that stuff because we know that our audience is watching that stuff. Mm -hmm. When you look at the statistics, we find that Christians watch R-rated movies in the same numbers that, uh, that secular viewers do. And we know that those constituents are part of our audience, you know? And I, I think that it gives us the ability. Number one, as we were talking about earlier, sometimes we can find some really cool, interesting points, even in harsh movies. But number two, we have to be mindful that we can plant a seed in some of our readers' minds. If they go see this movie, we can give them something to think about. Yeah, and if we can maybe lead them in a better direction, that's what we want to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think I'm also regularly surprised when we get letters from people saying, hey, thank you for this review. You know, my friends were going to take me to it. I didn't know anything about it. And wow, I was glad that you warned me about it because it was way worse than I imagined. And so we may think out there, everybody knows what's going on in pop culture and you're just aware of where the nasty lines are. But honestly, there's so much stuff coming at us these days that we want to be a resource that enables you to say, yeah, that's going to be out of bounds for me, or that's going to be out of bounds for my kids. Obviously, mm -hmm. a lot of what we do is focused on helping you as parents to make the best decisions you can mm -hmm. for the kinds of things your kids are engaging with. And sometimes that means, nah, we're saying no to that. And other times it means, well, we can see that, but I know ahead of time how we're going to need to talk about it afterwards. I think that also... Uh when you think about it from an adult's perspective, because like I don't have kids, but I have friends who have kids. They will read Plugged In because they want to see, oh, is this movie going to be appropriate for my child? And then, you know, maybe they'll see, oh, I was also thinking about going to see this with my other adult friends later this weekend. Let me just see what it says. And it makes them start looking at films differently to the point where they're like, is this film actually good or is it just popular? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I want to circle back to a phrase that Paul used, just this idea of planting seeds as we bring our conversation to a close. Plugged in is a seed planting ministry. And you may not think of us as that. It's like, well, you review movies. What's it got to do with planting seeds? <laughs> but we want to plant ideas and thoughts that help you to think critically and biblically about how you're engaging with entertainment. And that's not just movies. That's TV, video games, books. YouTube channels, all of the stuff that we review, popular TV shows, we want you to be thinking, what does my faith have to do 
with this entertainment that I'm consuming? How's it influencing me and how's it influencing my children? And I hope as we've talked today sort of about the pulling back the curtain and giving you a peek at at the internal workings of our process, that that's prompted you to think more deeply about the way you watch and engage with entertainment as well. So thanks everyone for your contributions today. This has been a great conversation. If only we could talk for another hour and a half. I know, but we can't. And get some real meat. Thank you. You know what? It's not even Halloween yet, but Christmas marketing is in full swing. I'm already seeing articles and ads saying this is the latest hot gift that your child is going to want this Christmas. And it's interesting that one of the trends that we have been noticing is how much those gifts are focused on technology. So joining me for our second segment today to talk about some of those trends and technology gifts is Jonathan McKee author of Parenting Generation Screen. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Well, Jonathan, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, um, I was a kid who had all sorts of desires. And back in the day, of course, there was no internet. Uh, the, the main portal to my desire and wish fulfillment was the JCPenney Christmas catalog. And I can still remember vividly each year how I would wait with anticipation for my grandmother to get it. I don't know why we never got it at our house, but my grandma (laughs) always got one and I could begin circling the things that I wanted, um, like Mr. Football from Coleco or, you know, Millennium Falcon from Kenner, that sort of thing. And I would sit and I would look and look and look at those pictures. Well, as the ad campaign back in the day said, we have come a long way, baby, from that. We now have advertising that targets us 24-7 based on anything we have thought about or looked at online. And that's another podcast for another time. But what are some of the trends we're already seeing this year in terms of what kids want for Christmas tech-wise? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you're right when you said earlier that, you know, it's not even Halloween and we're already starting to see, uh, you know, Christmas ads. It's amazing. It seems like it's earlier every year. It, w- it was probably 4th of July and I'm in Costco and it's like, and the Christmas trees and Christmas wreaths are already out <laughs> and buy them now because they'll be sold by August. Yep. No, it is, it is kind of interesting seeing all the lists come out and it's, and there's always these, you know, articles about top gifts for teens, you know, best gifts you can get. And some of them have some pretty interesting ideas, but I just was kind of, you know, perusing the articles, you know, flipping through, just kind of reading and seeing. And it was, I was just kind of intrigued by not only the amount of tech gifts, but I mean, I don't want to be a fanatical and I don't want to just speak from my lens as a guy who studies this a lot, but I, man, I just, so much of it just seemed irresponsible and let me give you some examples yeah let me say give more about what you mean by that and why you responded yeah, that way yeah 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 because i mean uh, on one hand if you're reading serious articles if you're out there whenever you see an article about one of these studies it seems like the article always ends up concluding with and doctors said please monitor how much social media time you're especially girls are spending yep. you know don't let them just have free for all you know more isn't better. I mean, that's kind of the conclusions we always hear. But yet in these ads, we saw 
exactly the opposite. Um, so an example, there's one that said for this reading pillow and it shows this girl sitting there, you know, reading. And, and I, I was laughing because it says for the girl who doesn't want to leave her bed. And I thought, well, that's good. Let's just encourage our kids to sit there. But, but here was, here was the clencher. She's sitting there and it's a reading pillow. It's literally advertised as a reading pillow. And she's sitting there and she's reading her phone and I'm sitting there going, okay, now I know she could have iBooks right. on the phone, but you know, most likely she was scrolling through TikTok. you know, yeah. um, they had another one that was a glow in the dark phone case. And, and it and, said, and something why would about, you even you know, need that? Right? Yeah, exactly. And it's all like, so you can access this all night, you know, and whatever. That, well, that, oh, that's another thing that researchers are pretty clear about that. You shouldn't have it at your bedside. Another one, the pop socket which sounds really scary, but what it is, it's the little knob you can put on the back of your phone. And it says, making it easier to hold your phone for long periods of time. <laughs> and again, I'm sitting there going, is this what our kids need to hold their phone longer? You're like, if only I could just make it more comfortable for my children to hold the kryptonite longer. I don't know. It's just, it just... I think we just need to rethink some of our Christmas gifts. And again, it's not that phones are bad. It's not that they're evil. But I think if we're almost encouraging our kids to, you know, use the phone in the dark, hold it longer. Uh, Adam, you actually showed me the article of the ring light. Yeah. You know, and it's like, get your kids for and it said for the wannabe influencer, yeah. you know, get this ring light so it'll show their face perfectly. And the wording was something like, it's all they need to be the popular, you know, and you're like going, okay, again, the influencer culture is one where most of the experts are saying, hey, okay, of all screen time, in all honesty, the, the, if there is any debate at all, the one thing experts do agree on is, okay, we can't agree on how much Netflix time, we can't agree on how much video gaming, but we do agree on anything where you're getting likes and followers is creating a lot of pressure on young people, especially young girls. Monitor that. Don't let it happen more than maybe an hour or two max a day. That's what the research has shown. We've talked about it on the Plugged In Show a lot. So, you know, sitting there going, well, let me get you this ring light to encourage you to be that influencer and try to get likes and followers so you feel pretty bad about yourself because, you know, there's about a one in 2,252 chance that you're actually going to get what you want in likes and followers. So I'm pretty much encouraging you for failure here. I mean, okay, I'm being really Nancy negative there, but come on. I mean, this is, we need to rethink this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that we have seen those articles that talk about how Kids today don't want to be veterinarians or astronauts or firefighters or police officers. You know, the things that they might have listed in the past, for many of them, their top goal is to become internet famous, to be an influencer. And so we're seeing companies that understand that there's that appetite in our kids and they're feeding it. And as you say, they're sort of feeding into this fantasy that this is a possibility, that you too can become the next rich and famous person on TikTok or YouTube or, you know, whatever your social media platform of choice is. Uh, and that leaves me to my next question. Obviously, we have talked at length about some of the problems with that. Are there any upsides, do you think, Jonathan, to many kids wanting to be content creators online? Or if you have a kid that has that kind of bent, uh, you know, what would you say to that parent? Yeah, and that's a great question, and it's become such a common question. That's why I spent a, an entire chapter 
on it in Parenting Generation Screen because it's like, what do you do if your mom or dad and your kid wants to be an influencer? And, and the numbers are pretty much eight out of 10 young people want to be an influencer yeah, it's a huge in number. some way. I mean, it's huge. And I always kind of think, is that number high? Because I've seen literally three different studies. One said 79% want to be celebrity. One said 84% want to be an influencer in some way. But it's funny as I interview people and, and I talk about this in the book. I mean, I remember uh, the my friend who's an elementary school teacher who said, yeah, I, I mean, third and fourth graders, they used to always say, I want to be a dolphin trainer. You know, I want to be a nurse. And now they're like, I want to be a YouTuber. You know, I want to be a TikTok star. It's so common. And she was even like, Eight out of 10, easily, you know? Mm. Well, the numbers just on how many actually make it, I mean, if you took a, a pretty big city and a pretty big high school, like a high school with a couple thousand people, chances are you could have one. You know, mm. think of, it's kind of like, you know, the old, the old numbers of, you know, back in the 80s of, well, there's that one captain of the football team or that head cheerleader who seems to have got it going on when it comes to looks and all that. But, you know, the rest of us are just struggling along. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the numbers of how many will make it as an influencer. It's like one in 2000 and something. And I include the studies in the book. But it's fascinating to me. So there's two, two concerns because your question is, is it OK? You know, I always say. You don't want to be a dream crusher, right. but I just say, just paint a realistic picture for your kid. If you're encouraging them and you're, you know, if your kid in the same way, if your kid says, I'm going to be in the NBA, you know, right. wouldn't it be a shame if LeBron's parents were like, come on, LeBron, look at the odds. The odds aren't good. Right. If your kid wants to be in the NBA, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's practice. Let's do this, but let's also have a backup plan. Let's keep working on our studies, you know, because it's very tough to get in the NBA. And so let's work hard. Let's be diligent, but let's also be careful, you know, and have a backup plan. So that's one of the things I tell parents is you can be encouraging, but talk about the backup plan. I know parents that are like, okay, let's go with the plan of not going to college and let's work on the influencer thing. Man, you just got to look at the numbers there. You know, yeah. that, that's what I encourage you to do is be realistic with the numbers. The other thing is, um, I would say, yeah, if you can do it in the amount of time that it's healthy and the amount of time that most experts determine is healthy is about an hour a day to max. And a lot of these kids that want to be influencers, this is an all day thing of them yeah. looking at likes and followers. It's stressing them out. And that's why in the book I included story after story of people who talked about going that route and the anxiety it gave them. Yeah. And this is just stuff that we need to be engaging with our kids about and looking for if they really want to do this watching for those kind of signs because if you see our kid constantly like just oh i just got to check just like let me check oh gosh that number is still small i i, I only have two thousand i i need one million hmm that's nine hundred and ninety nine nine or ninety eight thousand to go i mean that, that's a lot yeah you know um and that's a lot of pressure to put on, especially 10 and 12 year olds yeah. who had to lie about their age to get on social media. So come on, come on, mom and dad, let's be wise. Um, these are some of the things we need to talk to and set some realistic guardrails and most importantly, dialogue with as we're parenting generation screen. I love that, Jonathan. And I think that's a good place to bring our conversation to a close today that it is about relationship. It's about building trust. And it's about shaping our children's values, uh, you know, with a bigger goal in mind 
than just becoming internet famous. So thanks for giving us a glimpse of how our culture's love affair with technology and internet insta-fame is shaping our kids' hearts and minds today. Hey, thank you, man. Well, now it's time for that part of the Plugged In show we call... Culture Culture Countdown. Countdown. Culture Countdown. Culture Countdown. And our participants today... With me as your timer puppet master for our segment, (laughs) are Bob, Emily, and Paul. Mr. Hoos, are you ready? Yep, ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. Remember that Fisher Price toy that was like a little phone with little eyeballs, wiggly eyeballs, and stuff like that? Well, they're making it into a real phone. Yeah. No way. Yeah. For, for 60 bucks, you can get one that connects to your smartphone. And so your little kids can actually make calls <laughs> on the phone. Oh, now, the wow. Th- the thing is they can't text. Can adults buy them? Yes, adults can buy them. They, they, they can't make, they can't use texts and they can't uh, use apps. And so actually it's a much smarter phone than oh, your smartphone. Bob, Ooh. I'm so sorry. I stole at least two of your seconds. Well, that's all right. Paul shot daggers at me with his eyes. <laughs> like, we what are you doing? We little time. Honestly, that was such a great story. I couldn't not respond. <laughs> well, but I will go. try to exercise more discipline with Emily and Paul so that you have your full time. Emily, it's your turn. Yay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Jeanette McCurdy, who is probably most famous from iCarly, the OG version, not the new version, uh, has opened up recently with a one-woman show about the emotional abuse that she suffered from her own mom growing up as an actor and from the eating disorders that she had because of that abuse. And it's a whole exclusive about everything that she went through uh, growing up as a child star, supporting her family as a child star. Holy cow. Rock on. You did that well. You did that very well. Paul, do you think you can do it? <clears throat> no. Can I talk during yours? <laughs> no. Okay. I might. Okay. Emily might. Here we go. I just gave you a compliment. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Enough jibber-jabber. Let's do it, all right? <laughs> Three, two, one, go. So I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is that kids are playing innocent games on the playground still. The bad news is they are beating each other up after it. (laughs) Why? Because some of these kids, elementary school kids, have been watching Squid Game. We have heard little stories from from Belgium, from Florida, of course, about about these kids (laughs) who are sort of taking these these steps to the next level. They're not actually... Well, you can find the entire story in the show notes for today's episode. And on behalf of Paul, I would also like to extend a, a big apology to our Florida listeners. Because really? Oh my apparently goodness. Paul thinks bad things happen in Florida. And I know that's bad supposedly a thing, but Florida. but Florida, we love, love you Florida. too. That's we right. It's a paradise. Florida. A paradise, I say. <laughs> In fact, Florida, we would love to hear from you if you've spent some time listening to the Plugged In show today. And honestly, you don't just have to be from Florida to get in touch with us. So if you have questions about how we do our Plugged In thing that we didn't talk about today, give us a shout out on Facebook or Instagram, and we would love to interact with you there. Or you can shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And we will keep this conversation going. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, 
Today, for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, Parenting Generation Screen, and you'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the plugged-in blog entry for today's conversation. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY, and you can request that book there. Well, as always, we really appreciate the fact that you have chosen to spend some time with our whole plugged in team today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And we look forward to doing it again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. Mm -hmm.